We are on lesson number 20 tonight, and uh, let me lead us in prayer, and uh, we'll get started here tonight. Lord, again, I thank you for the privilege to assemble to talk about the things that really matter in light of eternity, for time and eternity. And uh, Lord, uh, as we consider uh, the issue of pride and humility tonight, I pray that you would guide in our discussion, and I pray it would be a profitable time of study together. I pray in Christ's name, amen. Okay, well, I usually like to think with a, start with a few thought questions here. So here we go here. Uh, what is the most natural thing in the world for fallen humanity, spiritually speaking? Sitting. Well, that's too simple, uh, too easy, I mean. Uh, how about sin? Should we start with sin? Oh, I didn't hear you, John. I'm sorry. Okay, sinning. Yeah, okay. I just didn't hear it. Uh, you know, the, the ears are the first to go, right? Anyway, yeah. But, uh, okay, follow-up question. Yeah. Uh, what sin is the most basic trait in terms of sinfulness? I, I would say pride. That's right. And it is what we call the besetting sin of mankind. Now, let me ask you, what is pride? Okay. Lifting yourself up. That's good. Huh? Self reliance. Yeah, right. Not seeing ourselves the way God Okay. All of those are true. Very good. There's a there's a word I really like to associate with pride, and it's it's the word independence. It's independent thinking and acting as far as God. Anytime we act independent of God, it's, it's a pride thing. And it kind of relates to everything that's been said here. So, um, you know, uh, pride really is, kind of says, I'm going to do it my way instead of God's way. And I think pride, in effect, what it does is it puts yourself above God instead of doing it God's way. It says, okay, arrogantly, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put myself above God and I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. Um, well, in light of that, what's humility? Well, it's submissive dependence. Submissive dependence. So I like to think about pride in terms of uh, independence from God, an attitude of independence. And uh, humility is dependence. Dependence upon God. And uh, so anyway, let's get into it here. Uh, pride and humility. Pride is the opposite of humility. Pride exalts self contrary to God and his truth. Pride rebelliously thinks higher of self than it should. And independently of God, there's my word. Uh, pride is a blinding reality that re results in judgment. God blesses humility and judges pride. So let's get into it. Uh, pride and the fall of the devil. That's a proper place to start when we talk about the subject of pride. Because uh, where did sin begin? In heaven, of all places. I mean, what a place. I mean, yeah. And what was the original sin? Pride. Exactly. Um, what is the end result of Satan's prideful five I wills, as we call them, in Isaiah 14, 12 through 15? What's the, uh, what's the, what's that? It's thrust down the Sheol. Yeah. How far down? <laughs> way, way, way down. Yeah, yeah, the lowest depths, the lowest depths of the pit. I think Lucifer, the angel of light, had the highest position in heaven and now has the lowest position in hell. I mean, you talk about a fall. I mean, that's from one extreme to the, the other extreme. Way, way down, uh, the lowest depths of the pit in, in total humiliation. That's his destiny for all the eternity. I like to say the, the way down is the way up. And the way up is the way down in God's economy. In other words, in relationship to pride. Okay, uh, Satan uh, was the influence behind the king of Tyre being addressed in Ezekiel 28, 11 through 19. What was the great sin in view causing his downfall? What was the great sin that's mentioned there in Ezekiel 28, 11 through 19? And in what sense? How is it described there? Your heart was lifted up. Ah, his heart had a heart issue. And heart was lifted up. You know, the inner, the innermost being, his heart was lifted up. 
And because of what? His beauty. Wow. Not after that. <laughs> no, I don't. I, not that I know of. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, heart was lifted up because of his beauty. Now, now uh, let me ask you, is there something, is there a problem with beauty? What's the problem here? I, I didn't catch it. Ah, exactly. It's not self-made. If you're a beautiful person, just remember, you're not self-made. And you owe it all to God. And, uh, you know, really all people are beautiful people in the sense that we're all made in the image of God. And, uh, but here he's just kind of gloating in his own beauty as if he's self-made versus God-made. Heart was lifted up. Like he, he was getting, he was, something about him. Uh, no, pride, pride, great sin in view, heart lifted up. Okay, in 1 Timothy 3, 6, what is the danger of putting a novice into a leadership position? What's, what's the danger? He becomes conceited and, fall, and falls into condemnation and by the devil. Yeah, okay, that's exactly right. And, uh, you know, I think uh, any position of responsibility that's an, an honored position, there's a real temptation to pride there. Uh, you might pray for me. Don't pray too hard because it's hard to be humbled. But, <laughs> but uh, really, I, I think it's true. Uh, we'll talk about Paul a little later. I mean, one of the most spiritual men that have ever walked the planet. Yet God had to work on him to keep him humble. And uh, so you take a novice, uh, boy, and, and they're getting all these accolades. You know, all of a sudden they're front and center and in his position of, of uh, you know, esteem and leadership. Boy, it's real easy to fall into pride. What does it mean, do you suppose, when it says, uh, uh, lest they fall into the same condemnation of the devil? Does that mean they're going to go to hell? Yeah. And what happened to the devil? He lost his position. Exactly. I think that's the idea. Uh, You could fall from... I mean, there is no higher position in the church today, uh, Church of Jesus Christ and serving as an elder... And to fall from that position, uh, you know, you, you may fall to where you never recover. And, and that's, the, that's the analogy. Not that they lose their salvation. They don't lose their salvation. I mean, uh, that's not the issue there. The illustration is fall from your uh, exalted position as far as uh, uh, honored uh, position and role there. Okay, any other thoughts on that page before we move on to the next one? Yes, Rory? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we talked about your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. Yeah. Uh-huh. I was, I was also thinking that there was a bit of pride in corrupting your wisdom because of your splendor. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. The well, my thought was that wisdom was something that was not given to him either, right? Right. But the splendor was able to corrupt it, so his his wealth was able to even corrupt his mind. Sure. Uh, or his wisdom. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah, that's right. I think you could bring out several things there. Yeah, that's right. That's, and that's a good observation. Amen. All right. Anything else? Yes. Um, I have heard people say that when they're talking about the king of heaven, they're also talking about Satan. Is that accurate or no? In terms of Ezekiel here? In 28? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think it's really talking about the power behind uh, the king. Uh, yeah, it's reflective of the king, but it's it's deeper. I mean, the, the description that in view here, it seems to go beyond the, the king, actually. So, yeah. And I think, you know, it's kind of like as uh, somebody who's probably controlled by Satan, there's a lot of the same uh, things coming through, the same traits, character traits. But, yeah, that's right. You know, we think ultimately it's a description of Satan. Yeah. Who is the, who is the power behind the power, as it were? Yeah. And, and is reflected in it, probably. I know, you know, you got like Nebuchadnezzar, this arrogant guy. Well, I'm sure Satan is working for all he's worth, you know. And, and in world leaders, you know, you, you get in positions of power. It's so hard for these people to be humble. I mean, and they come off like such, well, I need to be careful here. But, <laughs> but pride. It, it, and it's not a pretty thing. I mean, uh, they think it is. I mean, they, you know, come off like that. But before God, it's not. 
Okay, let's go to the next page here. Uh, page 138, uh, Pride in the Fall of Mankind. Uh, first question, how is worldly pride defined in 1 John 2.16? Okay, and so really, it's it's really describing the pride of life, which is of the world. And uh, there's three things mentioned there, but I'm going to zero in on the pride of life. Uh, I think this defines the world. The, the world kind of runs on pride. It's all about pride. What, what, who's kind of taken over the word pride in recent years? Has it been uh, some branch of the evangelical church? Uh, not so much. You have pride parades. Wh- who's marching in those pride parades? Godly people? Uh, what's that? <laughs> they are. They're very proud. Why, what are they proud of? Their sin. Their sin. That's right. So, I mean, the pride of life defines the world out here. And we, and we use the word proud in, in a, hopefully, a kind of a sanctified sense. In the sense of, Paul even used it in the New Testament. He'd say to uh, the saints, uh, you know, I, I'm proud of you, uh, one translation, or I, I'm, I glory in you, in a sense. I mean, I think there is a proper sense where you, you know, are uh, encouraging people in that sense. But uh, uh, all glory to God. All glory to God. Pride of life, which is of the world, characteristic of how they carry on, how they live. Yeah. Uh huh. So you said that uh, the pride of life uh, kind of characterizes the world. How would you? Could you explain what that means in different terms? I'm not really. I don't really understand. Yeah. Okay. I would go back to where we kind of started the conversation. There's an independence of God that defines the world system out here. I mean, they are not relying upon God. They're making their own way. Uh, you are what you make yourself. You know, you pick. Yeah. Yeah. So I would see it as, as this whole world system is really kind of in rebellion to God, doing their own independent thing, and very proud of what they're doing. In the case of the, the folks in the pride, we're making our way here and look at the advancements of the, call themselves progressive, you know. And, but it's really independence of God. God, we're rejecting you. Uh, the pride of life, uh, yeah. Okay, anyone else? All right, let's uh, continue on here. In what way did the devil appeal to the temptation of pride in Genesis 3.1? I'm asking a specific question. I've got another qu- follow-up question here, as you see in uh, the next question. But in what way did the devil appeal to the temptation of pride in Genesis 3.1? Yeah, and, and what question did he ask specifically yeah has God indeed said what's the problem with that question yeah and it's and what's the temptation there with that question yeah but yeah it's it's putting yourself in a position to judge God where does that kind of put you Uh, yeah I mean, that's not a good position to be in. <laughs> that's a proudful position. This is definitely temptation to pride. You know, maybe you can use your little head and, and you know, hey, has God indeed said? It's a challenge to the authority of God and what God has said. And so, um, yeah, that's a prideful position. And he's kind of baiting her in that direction. Uh, enter into this with me, this challenge of God and what he has, in, has God indeed said. I mean, that's the original temptation right there, the appeal to, to pride, as it were. Well, how is the pride of life seen in Genesis 3, 6? We go on a few uh, verses later. What happened? She saw it was pleasant. Yeah. Yeah. And then I put 1 John 2, 16. <laughs> okay. Yeah, cross-reference. Yeah, that's right. Uh, you know, what did she do instead of taking God at, at his word? Ah, and she acted on that then, didn't she? Yeah, which is, which is prideful. Again, anytime I'm operating uh, independently of God and doing contrary to God, it's really a matter of pride. I, I am now saying I know better than God. I'm making a move that's better for me than what God said. And I'm doubting God here. So it's, uh, it's sinful. It's pridefully uh, sinful. Okay, any thoughts there before we move into the next section? All right. Uh, pride, the besetting sin of mankind. In Proverbs six sixteen through 19, what is the first thing mentioned 
of those things which the Lord hates. The first thing mentioned, proud look, proud look. Um, Can you describe to me what a proud look is? (laughs) We kind of know it when we see it, right? Well, there you go. When you look down on other people, uh, you got a haughty, a haughty look, uh, a proud look. And, and notice it says the Lord hates this. Uh, it's not like he's kind of like, well, that's not that big a deal. It, it is. He hates uh, that attitude that looks down on people, a proud look, a haughty look. Uh, in, next question in Proverbs sixteen eighteen: what goes before a fall? Yeah. Pride, or uh, my translation says a haughty spirit. And uh, again, what's a haughty spirit? Yeah, arrogantly superior. I see myself as better. And uh, with disdain, I look down on others. Because I am better, after all. I know better, I am better. Uh, well, that goes before a fall. <clears throat> you're, you're just looking at a fall when you're in that position. Okay, any other input? Okay, let's go to the next page, page 139. What was the great sin of Nebuchadnezzar recounted in Daniel 5, 20 uh, through 21? What was the problem? Heart was lifted up up in, in pride. That's right. His heart was lifted up in pride. And do you recall, this is not in the, in the verses right there, but if you would back up to the previous chapter in Daniel chapter 4, what, how did this pride exhibit itself? Do you remember? Well, that's chapter 2. Uh, he did do that, and that was certainly arrogant too. But in chapter 4, remember, he's strutting around in his palace, and he says, is this not... Great Babylon that I have built. And what happened immediately? A voice from heaven. Nebuchadnezzar, the kingdom is departed from you. Hey, bud, check out the grass out here. <laughs> check out the pasture. You're going to be grazing that stuff for the next seven years. And it says uh, that's what happened uh, until, he, uh, until he knew that the most high rules in the kingdom of men came to figure out, you know, there's somebody above me. I'm, I'm, I'm not a self-made man. I think Nebuchadnezzar was actually converted. I think we're going to see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven. I mean, his testimony is one of a, a whole changed attitude as you come to the end of chapter 4 there. It did. <laughs> but eventually came around. You know, there's a, probably a lesson there too, isn't there? You got octane pride. It might take a while out in the pasture before you get there. But praise the Lord, I think he did come around there. The sad news is, you know, his grandson forgot that whole, the whole thing. And he's the one who called for the vessels from the temple and said, hey, let's party. Yeah. You know, if he was so mad he'd graze in grass, yeah? how could he even contemplate it? Uh, you know, it's hard, to, it's hard to understand how we need, he would even be able to think about those things if he's so nuts that he'd graze in grass. Yeah. There you go. I think you come back to that. You know, the grace of God enters in there for sure. Um, <clears throat> yeah, but at the end of seven years, he, he lifted up his, you know, he lifted up his uh, head to heaven, acknowledging God. And uh, then he was restored. Okay, um, very good. Uh, in Acts twelve twenty one through 23, why was Herod eaten by worms? Yeah, uh, he, because he did not give the glory to God. And it's kind of interesting in that, in that context, it says in verse 22, they kept shouting. I mean, this is a, a constant ongoing refrain saying, it's a voice of God. It's a voice, the voice of God. And, and he's just eating it in. Well, yeah, thank you. <laughs> Acknowledging me for who I am. I'm a God type person. Well, that didn't end well. Uh, he was eaten by worms. You know, immediately God struck him because uh, he did not give the glory to God. It's a serious matter to be a, a glory robber. Uh, you know, the Chinese uh, have, you know, they tell their young men, you know, stay away from the girls, stay away from the gold, and stay away from the glory. <laughs> not a bad 
thing to remember as far as if you're in ministry in particular. So anyway, that's what they tell their young men getting into the ministry. Give God the glory, and he didn't. Uh, okay, what sins of the last days in the list of 2 Timothy 3, 2 relate to pride? All of them. Yeah, well, that's the right answer. <laughs> but in a pronounced way. Yeah. How about in a pronounced way? There are some that are specifically uh, really... Uh, yeah, lovers of self. Let's start there. Uh, pride loves self, for sure. I mean, I'm the greatest, right? Who, who said that? <laughs> Muhammad Ali said that all the time. I'm the greatest. I'm the greatest. Well, <clears throat> okay. Well, don't you remember that old story about Muhammad Ali when he got on the airplane? And, and he said to the s- stewardess, uh, uh, Superman doesn't need any. Uh, she told him to put his, his belt on. He said, Superman doesn't need any seatbelt. And she said, Superman doesn't need a plane either. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, lovers of self. What else does it say there? Boasters. Boasters, uh, which is the idea of being a braggart, just bragging himself up all the time. And uh, <laughs> there's, there's too many examples here, but I'll, I'll stay away from all of them. But uh, braggarts. Uh, and then what else? Proud. Just the, the word proud is in there, which means, again, literally uh, to put yourself above. Proud is to put yourself above. And then what else? Well, that's true. I didn't even put that one down, but yeah, that's for sure. Uh, blast, irreverent speech, put yourself up and putting others down. Yeah, or, or God. Um, <clears throat> I also had in my translation, haughty. Haughty. Is that not in your translations? No? no? My goodness, you better check my translation. Anyway, uh, I wonder what it is translated in yours. Because New King James. Well, conceited, yeah. Yours says blasphemers. Let's look this up for just a minute. Uh, you're, are you New King James? Oh, boy, we got two different New King James here. This is not good. The newest King James. Uh, yeah. You're right. I have abusive in the NIV. Okay. Boasters, proud blasphemers. You're right. Where did I get haughty? Verse 4. Ah, that's where I got it. I did. The only problem here is I just had verse 2. So... Anyway, yeah, I, I, I want to zoom in on that word haughty because haughty actually is the idea of, of uh, having a mind that's clouded by smoke. It's the idea of being enveloped by smoke and, and being haughty is a blinding thing is the idea. And so, yeah, yeah, it's in there, but it's down in verse four. So anyway, yeah, let's stick with verse two. <laughs> that's what I got there. So that's right. Okay, uh, what was the disciples' dispute about, and how did Christ handle it in Mark 9, 33-35? What were they debating? What were they disputing? Who's the greatest? Yeah, who's going to be the greatest here, guys? Can't you see them carrying on, those guys right there behind Jesus? I mean, wow, such a, such a deal. And what did Jesus say to them? Okay, that's right. That's right. Uh, if you desire to be first... You need to be last. Yeah. And he says, and the servant of all. The servant of all. Um, Boy, you know, that tells me again, God's ways are not our ways. I mean, this is not how the world carries on. Uh, But in God's economy, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be last. Uh, Learn to be the... Yeah, what's that? The, The song, like the song. Yeah, like we sing it. That's right. Yeah. Well, that was a great lesson for, for the, uh, I don't know if they got it right away, but I think they eventually did as they went on in their, in their lives. Okay, last question here on page uh, 139. 
Why was Paul given a thorn in the flesh in 2 Corinthians 12, 7? Right, to keep him from becoming exalted above measure, just kind of out of control pride. Exalted above measure, that's really, that's a, quite a descriptive phrase. What you're saying? Conceited? Conceited. Yeah, same idea. Yeah, that's right. And again, hard to be humble when, you, when you've been to heaven. <laughs> you might want to write a book or something. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I don't give any credibility to those. But uh, yeah, here he is. I think about this. Paul, one of the godliest men that's ever lived, and yet had to have a thorn in the flesh, uh, a demon evidently, some kind of an instrument of Satan, uh, a thorn in the flesh inflicted uh, so that he would remain humble. Um, you know, that tells me we don't come by it naturally. Uh, and, and even as Christians, we still have the flesh. We still have this tendency to pride. And I think about, you know, sometimes terrible things happen to pastors. And it's probably a really a good thing terrible things do happen to pastors. You know, people say things, do things, and hurtful things, and hateful things, and, and there's all kinds of blessings too, don't get me wrong here. But, um, but I often think when those kind of things come into my life, it's probably a matter of I need to be humbled a bit here. And I, I never enjoy those things, believe me. But, but it's good for us, ultimately. Uh, you hope they never happen again, of course. <laughs> But, uh, you know, I think about what Paul had to go through. And so, a lot of people think this perhaps was somebody in the church that the devil was using to really come against Paul. A lot of commentators think this. When he talks about, uh, you know, that this uh, was uh, an instrument of Satan, uh, this uh, evidently a demon. Well, how was it? Was it just a physical thing? It doesn't tell us what this thorn in the flesh really was. Uh, was it some kind of a person that was being used? Was it some kind of a physical ailment? There's all kinds of things out on, the, on the, the table as far as the commentators. But the fact of the matter is, God was using it so that he would not be exalted above measure, uh, which is to say that his pride would just soar off the charts. Man, let me tell you who I am, what I've been, where I've been, and the things that I've experienced. No, this kind of kept him, kept him in check here. And you know what? What was his attitude then? Yeah, Roy? Well, my only thought is, what was his attitude after that? I mean, he asked the Lord three times to remove it, and then he found out it was to keep him humble. And what it? Yeah, and and he, bottom line, he was okay with it. He didn't he didn't keep asking the Lord and say, "Well, Lord, I'm humble now. I, want, I I really want you to remove it." No, he was okay with it. He accepted this and said, "This is for my ultimate spiritual good." Uh, he accepted that thorn in the flesh, and so yeah. Right. Um, do you think that there's potentially that was potentially it as well? Or? It sure could be. You, you know, there's a lot of things. Rory, there's a lot of possibilities out there. Well, I'm asking maybe what, what do you think? Um, I don't know. I often think about his eyes, too. You know, in, in Galatians, he mentions that. If it impossible, you would have even plucked out your eyes and have given to me, he says. And, you know, he did right with the large right. You can imagine, if you can't hardly see doing what the Apostle Paul does, that would have been a, a real pain. But we don't know, again. Uh, maybe the speech, yeah, it seems like, goodness sakes, you would think of this guy, with all of his knowledge, probably would have been a good order, you know. But maybe, given a setback there, thorn in the flesh... It's a possible. We just don't know. And I think God left it general so we could apply it in a very broad sense too here. There's a lot of broad application here because God didn't tell us specifically. But we do know that God allowed it to the end to keep him humble. And uh, so I think about different things. You know, I I was a pretty good golfer at one point. And uh, man, I'm proud about it. <laughs> but not really. But uh, I used to golf when I was younger. And so when I first got into the ministry, these guys would take me out golfing. And it wasn't really, I couldn't golf for anything. And I just felt the Lord took it from me. It was humbling, <laughs> but it was good for me. Anyway, uh, let's continue on here. Uh, page 140. 
pride an obstacle to faith. In contrast to the person who has faith, how is the person whose soul is not right described in Habakkuk 2.4? We're talking about the person uh, whose soul is not right. How are, the, how are they described here? The proud person. Yeah. Uh, he is proud. His soul is not upright in him. And that's in contrast to what? The just shall live by faith. Right? He's making a contrast between those two. Well, what's the, what's the contrasting issue there? I think it's pride. I like this from C.S. Lewis. He says, as long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. Well, that's a good point. As long as you're proud, you, you, you're, not, you're, looking, you're not looking up. You're, you're always looking down on every, everybody. And so I think there is, uh, there is a humbling of self in a saving faith response. I need a savior. I mean, that's a, that's a humbling response. I can't save myself. Uh, so, so I think uh, th- there, is, uh, there is a humbling of the soul in, in conversion. Yeah, yeah. And we just were talking about that. Absolutely. Even the Apostle Paul. Uh, we, we certainly do. And uh, although I think there is a humbling of yourself in accepting the Lord, it doesn't mean that we don't continue to have the flesh struggle there. Of course we do. Absolutely. I mean, as long as we have the flesh, I think we're going to struggle with pride to some degree. All of us. So, yeah, absolutely. But all I'm saying is I do think there is a humbling of yourself in conversion as well. Yeah. Okay. Um, what is the great contrast in Jeremiah seventeen five through 8? Yeah, and what's the cursed person do? He puts his trust in people. You know, there's the pride of life right there, I think. Uh, What about uh, the blessed person? Trust in the Lord. Lord. That's right. So you see that contrast there. The cursed person trusts in man, while the blessed person trusts in the Lord. And then what's he going to say? You you know, I know it's not in the text here, or in the booklet here, but Jeremiah 17, 9... The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately. What are we talking about in context? Well, are you going to trust man or are you going to trust God? You're going to be independent of God. We're going to do it ourselves and put our stock over here proudfully, putting our stock in man. Or we say, nope, I'm dependent upon God. My trust is in God. Hearts deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I, I test the heart. So, yeah. Um, we want to trust in God. That's what it's all about. Okay, what did uh, Christ illustrate about the nature of a true saving faith in Luke 18, 9 through 14? You got two... Right, amen. You got two players in the story, right? You got the, uh, the Pharisee. What's his attitude? God, I, I'm here with thanksgiving today. And, and what's he so thankful about? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad I'm not like other men, extortioners and adulterers, and certainly not like that wicked tax collector. I just, I'm such a wonderful guy. I just thank you, God, for how great I am. And what about the tax collector? Would not even so much as lift up his eyes unto heaven, but right, smote upon his breast. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And what did Jesus say? Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. And he went on to say, it was a tax collector who went home to his, uh, went to his house justified and not the Pharisee. Yeah. Uh, something that I wrote down for this one that kind of struck me about this parable was that, um, you know, one is comparing himself to other man. Yeah. Sure. Um, but when people look around and say, well, you know, I'm better than all these other people, so I should be going to heaven. That is a huge sign of pride. And that's exactly 
Well, that's, that's an excellent observation. Amen. That is the point. Right, exactly. Uh, yeah, who's the, who's, who do we measure ourselves by? Well, God, right? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that, and that, but that is so human, right? We tend to think, well, at least I'm not as bad as that person. You know, I've never killed anybody. Yeah, but you've had murderous thoughts, <laughs> and you've wanted to. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, that's great, Rory. Amen. Uh, that was well said. Okay, any other thoughts before we go on to the next section here? All right, God blesses humility. In Matthew 5, 3, who does uh, Christ say is blessed? The poor in spirit. What does that mean, to be poor in spirit? Humble and uh, it's really this word poor uh, is the idea of uh, to be severe in severe poverty. The idea of bankruptcy. I'm I'm destitute of my own righteousness. So I think that's the idea, poor in spirit. Uh, I recognize I have no self-righteousness. I have no means of being right with God whatsoever. Uh, Blessed are are the poor in spirit. Um, okay, quoting from the Old Testament, <clears throat> actually from Proverbs 3.34 in the Old Testament, what does James 4, 6 say? Yeah, we know exactly how God feels about it, don't we? Uh, he resists or opposes the proud, but gives grace or, or favor to the humble. Uh, so you want, you want to be in the favored position with God? Be humble. Be humble. Uh, God... Uh, Gives grace to the humble. Okay, any other input before we move on to the next page? Okay, let's go on to uh, page uh, 141. What example did Christ set that is to be emulated by his followers in Mark 10, 42 through 45? He came to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Uh, boy, what, what an example this is. Um, serving example, sacrificial example, um, he is the ultimate example here, that's for sure, of, of uh, humility in that sense. What is the mind of Christ revealed to be in Philippians 2, 3 through 8? Yeah, and, and doing nothing from selfish ambition. Not, doing nothing from selfish ambition, but rather uh, through lowliness of mind, it says, esteeming others better than self. So... Uh, Humility does not uh, push a self-agenda, uh, but really um, looks, uh, puts others above self. Puts others above self. Okay, according to Isaiah 57, 15, with whom does the Lord dwell? Oh, I did? Oh, yeah. What do you know? Yeah, okay. What is the believer's attitude to be? I was just testing to see if you were following along carefully. A little pride there on my part, you know. Anyway, uh, what is the believer's attitude to be as stated by Paul in Romans 12, 16? Yeah, don't be high-minded, mind says. Or haughty in your mind. Don't be high-minded, but what But what else? Associate with the lowly. You know, I think there's, the, there's a real test of humility. Who do you, who do you associate with? You say, well, I'm just a little too good for that group over there. I like to, you know, I'd like to associate with just, you know, a little bit higher class of people, <laughs> not those lowlies over there. Uh, no, don't be uh, high-minded. That's the idea. I'm above. I'm above certain people. Associate with the lowly. You know, we all put our pants on the same way, right? Yeah, pretty sure we do. And uh, they say, you know, people pretty much all look the same in hospital gowns too. Did you know that? <laughs> it's true. You know, it's kind of like, why, why are we seeing ourselves above anybody here? Um, don't be high-minded. No, bring, come down here. Come down to the same level. Associate with the lowly. And I think that's good. It's kind of like, who are my acquaintances? Then am I reaching out to the lowly? Do I associate with the lowly? I mean, it's easy to say this in theory, but in practice, in real life, do I make a real effort to associate with the lowly? I think that speaks volumes of where our heart's at, really. It's a great verse. Okay, now let's do it. According to <clears throat> Isaiah fifty-seven fifteen, with whom does the Lord dwell? 
Yeah, with the person who has a, a contrite and humble spirit. What's, what's the idea of contrite? Bruised, yeah, or broken. Contrite, bruised, broken, yeah, that, that's right. And humble is, again, lowly. So God dwells with the person who has a contrite and humble spirit. Um, I think really we have to be broken. Before God can really make us the people he wants us to be, we have to be broken. God uses broken things. And uh, we, all need to, we all need to be broken. And God dwells with uh, the idea there, uh, that, that humble spirit, a lowly spirit. Um, boy, it's, how, do you, how, do you be, how do you get humble? Um, I think God humbles you. Uh, it's really a work of God. He who has begun a good work in you will perform it. Well, well, he's kind of in, in the business of humbling us. And life is humbling. You, you know what happens as you get older in life? It humbles you. I mean, you can't do the things you used to do. You can't run as fast. You can't even run. And then you can't even walk. You can't even get out of bed. Huh? You can't play golf. That's right. That's right. Anyway, yeah. Uh, life is humbling. It, it, you know, and you think about it. You get so weak. You know, I watched my mother die. I mean humbler and humbler to the point where, I mean, you're taking your last breath. You are completely out of all strength, humbled to the dust, and then exalted to glory. I mean, it's an amazing story. Wow. All right. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, how did Paul rebuke the boasting of the Corinthians? What did he, what did he do? How did he uh, rebuke the boasting of the Corinthians there in that verse? I love this verse, by the way. Yeah, rhetorically, right? He rhetorically asked these Corinthians, um, what do you have that you did not receive? What a great question. Uh, okay, uh, we're, we're taking you know, the answers now. What, what do you have that you did not receive? Well, you receive that, right? I mean, every, everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah God, God gives you everything. And, and, you know, really, that brings it back to there's no reason for boasting here. There's no room for boasting. You've been given everything, everything that you have. You have no re- room to boast in anything. Zero. And that's, uh, that's where grace comes in, too. It's all grace. It's all a gift. And uh, that's just such a great question. What do you have that you did not receive? Somebody's carrying on. That's a good question. Paul asked these kind of these Corinthians who are having a little problem with boasting, the one to kind of be showy and everything. He said, "What do you have that you did not receive?" Boy, it's just such a great question. Good to ask myself that. What do I have that I did not receive? Somebody says, "Well, you, boy, you do this well. You're really good." What do I have that I did not receive? Can I really brag on this? Can I really take some credit here? No. Okay. Uh, what emphasis does Paul make in Second Corinthians ten seventeen and eighteen? You're going to glory? Glory in the Lord. Right. That's where the glory belongs. Glory in the Lord. And then he adds, uh, only whom the Lord commands is, is approved. You know, it really doesn't matter how many accolades other people give you or how many you try to attribute to yourself. Uh, what's really going to matter on Judgment Day is God's evaluation. And uh, <clears throat> who do you suppose God's going to approve on Judgment Day? I think he's going to uh, command those that brag on him, (laughs) right? That's who God's going to, I think, approve on Judgment Day, those who made much of him, because it is all about him. So, uh, yeah, brag on him. Glory, glory in the Lord. This is commendable before God. Okay, any uh, input there before we move on to the next page? All right. In 1 Corinthians 15, 10, Paul gives all the credit for who... He was to what? The grace of God. I am what I am by the grace of God. Now, um, three times he mentions grace in this verse. Three times. And uh, this does not deny human responsibility, by the way, because he goes on to say that that grace was not in vain because he labored more than all the others. Right? I mean, you think about him. uh, Boy, what a fruitful life. What kind of things did he do? He was in more trouble. He suffered more. He wrote more. He founded more churches, humanly speaking. 
A um, lot of things that guy did. I mean, you say, boy, yeah, he was right at the, at the front of the pack here. But yet, he's not taking credit. The point is, he's saying, I'm not a self-made man. I am what I am by the grace of God. Yes, <laughs> that grace was operative in him. There was human response there, but all the glory goes to God. He's not a self-made man. Okay, and uh, another favorite verse of mine. Where did Paul find his sufficiency in 2 Corinthians 3.15? Uh, 3.5, rather. Yeah. Uh, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. <laughs> exactly. Um, no credit to self. You know, and I really wonder sometimes, we quote these verses, but, um, you know, do we really believe that our sufficiency is totally from God as far as the work that we're doing? I sometimes wonder if we don't give a little too much credit to brilliance and say, that person is brilliant. Uh, they got a great mind. Uh, kind of giving a little credit to that. Uh, or, you know, that person, uh, you know, is a great talker. They can argue anybody under the table and, and win people into the kingdom that way. <laughs> no, uh, it doesn't happen that way. Uh, a lot of things we could mention there. But really, it, it's God who does this. The power to affect change in people's lives is God. And Paul came to see that, you know, it's with you, he says to the Corinthians, in weakness, fear, much trembling. And yet it's amazing how God used him to start a church there in Corinth. Okay, uh, what was the singular basis of Paul's boasting in Galatians? Uh, Galatians 6.14. God forbid that I should glory except cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right, there you go. He was championing what Jesus did, not what he's done. It's all about Jesus. And by the way, some have called Galatians the crucifixion epistle because the uh, crucifixion or, or cross is mentioned seven times in this little letter. Tremendous emphasis there. Uh, it's all about what Jesus Christ has done, his cross. Okay, whom did God choose and why in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29? Who do you want on your team? Who does God want on his team? Who, who has he chosen? The foolish? The weak? The weak? The lowly or the base, as my new King James says, the foolish, weak, base, despised, and which is another way of saying nothings. Things which are not are nothings. So, boy, how's that for a description? Dear, foolish, weak, base, despised nothings. <laughs> this is whom God has chosen, mostly. Not many wise, not many mighty, not many nobler. God has chosen the foolish, weak, base, despise nothings. Why? So we can't boast on our own. Yeah. So we don't have a pride issue here going. Say, well, look, we're something. No, you're not. You're foolish, weak, base, despise nothings. And God can even use you. <laughs> and me. I'm in that category too. You say, which one am I? Well, maybe a little bit of all of them. Uh, foolish, you know, opposite of wise. Uh, weak, we understand weak. We're not generally strong. We're not in positions of power. People are power players in the world. Not most of us. A few. It's like the queen said, I forget which one it was. It, said, it says not many. It doesn't say not any. So there are a few. There are a few. But most of us are in this category. A foolish, weak base is uh, the idea of lowly. Uh, you know, the idea of insignificant. The insignificance. Uh, despised, that which is not valued, that which is held in contempt, despised. You know, the world kind of has an attitude towards us a lot of times. We're the despised. The deplorables, <laughs> right? Yeah, in terms of the world. And then uh, nothing, uh, uh, things which are not. Uh, kind of the, the idea of zeros, <laughs> The nothings, uh, those of no account. You know, if you were coming for a, a good boost to your self-esteem tonight, I'm sorry. <laughs> Deflating. <laughs> the amazing thing is that God can use us, that no flesh should glory in his presence. All the glory goes to God. That's the point. Just giving God the glory. Look, look what God can do with us. 
I mean, his power, his resurrection power flowing through us and working through us to win people, to make a difference for all eternity. It's amazing. Okay, what did Peter say? Uh, who did Peter say? Uh, God will exalt in due time in 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6. Yeah, yeah. Those that humble themselves under the mighty hand of God. What's the context here in 1 Peter, by the way? Yeah. Peter writes to the suffering saints who are going through extreme persecution. Why do you suppose he says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time? What does humbling yourself under the mighty hand of God in that context mean? I think so. Instead of, you know what we tend to do in that, in that uh, position? I think sometimes we want to kind of fight in the flesh. Yeah. Or, or we resist, you know. We resist the powers that be. And Peter says, honor the king. Are you kidding? Nero's a king. I'm not going to honor that scoundrel. In fact, we might want to somehow secretly plot to take him out. No, 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 no. Humble yourself. God is sovereign. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Interesting context there in 1 Peter. Okay, next page. I uh, don't mean to cut you off any input. Go ahead, but we, we have seven minutes, so we're going to move right along here. I think the days in which we live, uh, I think Christians are getting more and more into the 1 Peter context where we are going to be a suffering minority. And, and what's our attitude going to be to the powers that be I mean, we can hate them. Uh, we can almost strive in the flesh. But I think Peter has a, a, a message to us. Humble yourself. God is sovereign over this, even this context, whatever it is. And uh, there's a way to the fight, uh, the good fight in the spirit. And, and there's a way to do it in the flesh. And we want to do it in the spirit. Yeah. So, yeah, that's where I'm coming from. Okay. <clears throat> Uh, next page, page 143. All will be humbled. In the day of the Lord's judgment, what will happen according to Isaiah 2, 10 through 12? The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Right. All people are going to be humbled. I mean, there's not going to be a cocky person walking around on planet Earth when God gets done with this place. Isn't that kind of cool? The Lord alone is going to be exalted in that day. I mean, all cockiness is going to be... And they're going into the caves. It's kind of like God is pounding them down. They're in their caves. And they're, oh, you know, God alone is exalted in that day, in the day of the Lord. It's coming. It's coming. I mean, there's a lot of arrogance, the pride of life walking around these days. But the day of the Lord is coming. when the Lord alone will be exalted. Okay, moving on down to the next question. And in the chapter, same chapter, in view of God's future humbling of the world... What is the proper response seen in Isaiah 2.22? Stop trusting in man. Yeah, that's one translation. Um, <clears throat> Sever yourself from really kind of the context is the cocky arrogance of man. And uh, <clears throat> yeah, um, New American Standard says, stop regarding man. In the Holman Christian Study Bible put no more trust in man. What was your translation? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, that's right. So, uh, and that's on the, in, like I say, it flows in the context of the Lord alone will be exalted. Okay, uh, middle of the page, God has highly exalted Christ to what end as seen in Philippians 2, 9 through 11? Right, and what's going to happen? Right. There you go. The Lord alone again, in the end, is exalted here. All pride is, is going to be put down. What was the first creed of the Christian church? Jesus is Lord. First creed in the Christian church. Commonly recognized as the first creed in the Christian church. Jesus is Lord. Uh, he's the one we exalt here. Okay. Uh, when Christ returns at, at the second coming, what name is written on his robe is found in Revelation 19? Oh, yeah. King of kings and Lord of lords. Emphasizing that he is the sovereign one. He is the supreme one. He's the most high God. He's the exalted one. And, uh, you know, I often say this in life. Uh, you get to situations that are just very really frustrating. What can we do? What can we do? 
Yeah, which is another way. This is why I like to say, we can bow, right? We can bow. We can worship. We can humble ourselves under God. God is God. This, this is our hope. This is our all when it's all said and done. There's lots of situations in life. You know, I am a kind of a guy who likes to take the bull by the horns and do something about situations. But as I've gone along in life, there are more and more situations that come at me that I can't do a thing about it. Even in my own family. Even in my own home, for crying out loud. <laughs> no, I'm the problem here, not you. Anyway, I'm just teasing. <clears throat> but there are all kinds of situations. You, you just can't do a thing about it. You know, you can't change other people. I'm not, I'm not talking about you, Janie. Uh, but, you know, just through the years, even raising kids, there, there's all kinds of situations. They, they come of age, you know, sometimes they don't think like you do. They don't think properly anymore. Uh, uh, they don't think like you do anymore. <laughs> and actually, sometimes they're right. You know, you know, you get kind of in your rut here. Maybe it's good to kind of be stretched in a certain direction. But uh, there's just so many things. You, you can't change people. Uh, and you can't think for people. I mean, uh, and, and you've got to just a lot of times just wait on the Lord. Okay, um, we can bow. We can worship. We can pray. In Revelation 4, 10 through 11, whom does heaven declare is worthy to receive the glory? Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, the eternal creator is really what's emphasized there. Uh, he is the one who is wor- worthy to receive the glory. Um, J- yes, 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 yes. So is that, I, I wrote God the Father and God the Son, because Jesus was their creation. Sure. You know, it's interesting. In chapter 4, the emphasis is on creator. And the emphasis in chapter 5 is on redeemer. And in both chapters, the emphasis is the one, the glory goes to the one on the throne. And of course, I don't think there's any jealousy in the Godhead. This is a, this is a, God is God. And uh, the glory that goes to the Father, in a sense, goes to the Son and the Holy Spirit. So it's not like, you know, God is God. God is one. So, but yeah, emphasis on creator in in the end of chapter four and emphasis on redeemer in chapter five. But all the glory goes to God in relationship to creation, in relationship to redemption. So, yeah. Okay. Very good. Um, let's see here. Um, now, Tom, did you memorize the verse this week? Do you want to say it this week? I uh, kind of cut you off last week. So I'm giving you a chance this week. Yeah. Right. Amen. You know, it was, it was interesting this week. I will tell a story about my wife. She, she doesn't know I'm going to tell this story because so, if I ask her, she'd probably say no. And it's easier to ask forgiveness and permission. You know that, right? Yeah, right, right? <laughs> anyway, but yesterday I was commending her. I mean, there was just a lot of things going on in the day, and I, I, I just commended her. I said, you've done really well today, and we had some challenges here, and, and I was just really commending her on how well she did. And you know what she did to me? She just looked at me and she said, not unto us, not unto us, <laughs> be the glory. And it already spoke to my heart because, boy, how true that is. And I said, well, I'm not wanting to give you the glory. I'm just thanking you. <laughs> but uh, you know how true that is. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to thy name be the glory. Absolutely. Okay. Well, very good. Um, We have for next time, uh, True Worship, chapter 21. So let's close in prayer and then we'll be dismissed. Lord, we do thank you for your amazing grace. Uh, Lord, to think that uh, we as people, uh, lowly people, uh, made out of the dust of the earth, have been exalted to where we are now joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And Lord, indeed, as Paul pointed out to the Corinthians, what do we have that we have not received? There is zero room for us to brag, to boast in self. Lord, uh, we boast in you. You're our everything. And uh, Lord, you have done everything for us. And what more could you do for us than you have done? Really, nothing. You've done everything for us. 
We can't begin to imagine the glories that, that await. And so, Lord, no wonder we are called upon to be humble before you, to give you all the glory, because indeed it belongs all to you. And so, Lord, uh, I pray that we would indeed walk in, in the spirit of Christ as, as a way of life. We'd be growing in grace. Lord, we still have the flesh, and it creeps in there uh, all the time. We, we all wrestle with it if the truth is known. But, Lord, um, uh, just thank you that you are at work in our lives uh, to humble us, to discipline us, to, to build holiness into us, to build humility into our lives, Christ-likeness, the mind of Christ. And, uh, Lord, you are faithful to do so. And sometimes it's painful, Lord, but, Lord, you are working all things together for good for those that love you. Lord, again, I thank you for this, uh, this lesson. I pray it would bear fruit in our lives. May we continue to serve you humbly for, for your own glory. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, have a good rest of the week, everybody.